Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. It's really exciting to be able to have this venue, uh, this opportunity to reach out to the community, the business community in Arizona and across the nation and around the world with internet radio nowadays. I've been thinking a lot lately. You know, I had a opportunity to go and do an outreach event at an elementary school talking with second graders and really bringing awareness about blindness, uh, the tools and techniques that, that I use in my life at home or even at work to be successful and live an independent life. It's really important, I think, to get that message out early to kids to kind of take away some of those stigmas of, about blindness allow them the opportunity to ask questions because, you know, at that age, they are asking the honest questions that everybody else is thinking. And so it's good to educate them. And I think that they take that education back to their parents and it, and it helps continue to demystify, continue to bring awareness and change some of the fears of talking to somebody who has a disability. Um, you know, through that conversation, uh, the kids ask some great questions, you know, uh, you know, do people who are blind drive? What do I do with my dog uh, while I'm sleeping? What is the dog doing? Um, to some really hard questions about uh, what is it like to be blind? Those are questions that often make me think about, you know, what is it like? Is it any different um, and the answer is no. I still have the same dreams, same hopes, same fears, same desires to be productive in, in life, to raise successful children, to be a good person, support, be a good person in my community. But I did, may do things a little bit different than everybody else in terms of achieving those goals and aspirations and just being a happy person. And, and so I told the kids, you know, if you close your eyes, it doesn't mean that you are now a different person because you can't see me standing at the front of the room or anything. It doesn't change who you are. It changes how you interact with me and how I interact with you. So it's a great opportunity to do that. And uh, having this show, we continue to build that awareness, continue to talk with leaders who are making a difference in the community. And so I'm really excited. One of those leaders in the community is um, Jared Kittleson, the associate, the CEO of Foundation for Blind Children. And so welcome, Jared. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, David. Jared, you want to give our, our listeners maybe just, uh, you know, some of your background as uh, a, a leader and uh, your experience with FBC? Sure. Yeah, I've been in, I've been in leadership for... Almost, uh, almost 20 years now. I, I started as a, a high school principal um, here in Phoenix for 16 to 21-year-olds, um, oversaw 20-some charter schools across the country before uh, eventually landing in a position as an executive director at a, a local YMCA. And then about six years ago, I was introduced to Foundation for Blind Children and discovered a, a real jewel here in, in the valley and learned about their work and, and their mission. And from then from from since then I've been I've been hooked. And uh, I came into Foundation for Blind Children as their director of educational services, which meant I oversaw uh, our early intervention program, which is which is a birth to three program here in Maricopa County, the preschool elementary program and our, our itinerant services, which are a group of, of teachers that go into about 55 different school districts here in the Valley and, and provide vision services to about 225 students. Fantastic. So FBC, or Foundation for Blind Children, uh, serves not only children, but uh, adults. So I know you guys have uh, from birth to a client that is, you know, over a hundred years yeah, old. Yeah, hundred and three years old. Yeah, that's that's probably the the biggest misconception we have is 
you know, here at Foundation for Blind Children, you think of little kids running around the campus, but we, we serve the visually impaired of, of all ages. We serve over 2,000 individuals um, a year. We, like you said, you, we, we, we work with adults, we work with teenagers, we work with college students. We have a low vision clinic on site that serves all ages. I mentioned the preschool. It's, it's the largest preschool in the country. Uh, that serves the visually impaired here in here in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, as well as the largest Braille library hmm. in in the country here in Phoenix, Arizona. So we are providing services not only in in Maricopa but throughout the state of Arizona. And I think there's there's 38 states in this country that receive services from from FBC. Wow, that's incredible! I didn't realize that you had yeah. that that large of a presence. And those resources are for, as you mentioned, students, uh, whether they're high school or college age, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're also educating the family, I think is is part of the, the big or very important process for a child in, their, in terms of their development, uh, how to ensure that parents aren't overprotecting um, and allowing the, the children to experience um, and how to interact in their environment with low or no vision. Yeah, the, the parents are the child's first teacher. Right. And you hit on a point that is big into our philosophy. Parents these days have a tendency to, to bubble wrap their, their mm-hmm. children. I think that becomes more pronounced when that child has, has a disability. And so our education and our programs doesn't just focus on the child or, or the student or the client, but we like to say that when a student comes to FBC, we don't just enroll that child or that student or that client, we, we enroll the entire family mm-hmm. because it's, it's essential that talk about demystifying. It's, it's, it's important to demystify it for, for the family. Mm-hmm. Right? And, right. And instead of the narrative being, this is what the child can't do. It's what the child can do. And, and I, I loved your introduction when you say I, I do anything and everything a, a sighted person does. I just may do it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's really, at the core, what FBC is about is is providing that independence, um, providing those strategies to do do whatever whatever it is you want to do, right? Whatever your dreams are, we're going to teach you how to do it. And um, one of the one of the programs we have, or, or uh, a cool thing we do, is is challenge events. Mm-hmm. And over the course of our our history, we've we've done things like climb Mount Kilimanjaro. We have swam the Alcatraz Channel. We took, uh, a couple years ago, we took 13 students ages 14 to 21. We hiked down the Grand Canyon, spent nine days, eight nights rafting the Colorado River Hmm. in some of the most harsh conditions North America has to offer. And those kids had to set up a, a tent at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and figure out where to go to the bathroom and help prepare a meal and pack it up and throw it in a raft. And, you know, you you walk out of that experience standing a little taller and mm-hmm. talking with a little bit more confidence. And it changes that narrative, changes that conversation that if 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 I can if I can handle the Grand Canyon for for nine days, mm-hmm. I can and and figure out where to set up a campsite and where to go to the bathroom and at the bottom, mm-hmm. I can figure out this office. I, I can figure out where the copy machine is. I can figure out a spreadsheet. And that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about is, is changing the narrative of the community, changing what the narrative of, of their families and the kids are the easy part, right? They, mm-hmm. They're pretty resilient and right. are ready to go. So um, yeah, it's an important part of, of what we do. Yeah. It's so exciting. You know, I followed your, your last student who piloted a mm-hmm. plane from Phoenix to Washington, D.C., and went through all the same learning to become a pilot that any other person would do. From your campaign, I was able to follow and see, you know, brailing a mock-up of the instrument panel to learn where everything is, right? And so those transferable skills are so important. And as you mentioned, the confidence, right? Because those are some of the things that often here is... And this probably leads into a lot of what we're going to talk later today about is sure. is about that confidence in the workplace and how you approach life, how you approach your job, 
And what employers are looking for is someone that can come in, has the solution for them to do their job already dealt with. And now it's, okay, we're going to give you the basics you know, on the job training or whatever path that they do for their training to bring somebody on that they, the individual, the the client, the employee already had the confidence and the tools to be successful in the workplace. Yeah. And that you bring up a great point with, with one of our, our former students being able to fly a plane and it's, it's another prime example of just need to do things differently, right? The aviation company that we worked with, had never worked with a visually impaired pilot before. And that student worked really hard. Kai Armstrong worked really hard to learn the instrument panels and our incredible staff worked with her and trained her and helped her learn those skills necessary. And, and yeah, if you can learn how to fly a plane, which is one of those things you probably thought was off the, off the table, yeah, we can we can do that. So we can, mm-hmm. we can walk into any professional setting and and let's just figure out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think? And we we talked about it, and you know that there's a lot of myth around blindness and abilities rather than disabilities around blindness. And coming from a nonprofit background that you've had, as well as some in the for profit. What do you find, and being in this field now, what do you find are some of the biggest myths maybe from the community and employers about hiring or just in general people who are blind? I think one of some of the, the biggest myths that we fight against is, is, is pity. Um, and, and people have this tendency to feel sorry for our students, and that's the last thing anyone wants for, for our students is, and, and instead... That's why I say like starting the narrative of look, like how can we how can we do things differently? How how can we make some slight changes to our lobby to make it more accessible to an individual that that is visually impaired? How can we set up our business? How can we set up our, our offerings to make it more accessible? And so I, I think making making that information known to the community as a whole is is really important. We take a philosophy of, you know, we don't we don't want just the teacher, the visually impaired, to know how to support our kids. We want the entire community to know how to support mm-hmm. our kids. Um, and, and it can be really simple, simple adjustments to to every day, right? If you're a teacher in the classroom, it could be your seating chart. It could be descriptions of of pictures on a, on a PowerPoint, right, or mm-hmm. audio descriptions. On, on a on a movie that you're showing in class and having that awareness is is so crucial to accessibility and, and building confidence for for that child and and not making them feel excluded or or less than and mm-hmm. when you see that confidence build and and I got to see that firsthand on that Grand Canyon trip mm-hmm. to see four four you know 13 kids be able to hike down a mountain right? Eight miles down into the canyon, carrying everything they need for, for nine days and walk out. That confidence is, is so critical to any child's development. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't matter if they're visually impaired or they're sighted or, or whatever the disability, uh, a, a young adult with confidence is, is a magical thing. So I think that's probably the, the biggest, you know, battle we fight is demystifying that, that, that blindness. I love that term because mm-hmm. Too many people in our community have never had a firsthand experience with someone who's visually impaired. And uh, unfortunately, that first reaction or that first instinct is 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 to be scared. Right. Mm -hmm. Or or tiptoe or or walk on eggshells Mm -hmm. or or being afraid to to offend. And so based on that initial reaction, you just kind of retreat. Right. You just mm-hmm. kind of retreat instead mm-hmm. of, of of diving in and asking questions and, and interacting like you would anyone else. So I think the more we can communicate and the more exposure we can have to to our mission um, and, and continue to highlight what individuals with visual impairment can do, um, I, I think it, it benefits it benefits it benefits everyone, not just the visually impaired community, but you're opening up a workforce and, and a population to your business, your community that you may have thought was was not there, right? Or not possible. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, the awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, having the 
possibility of making that approach, right? In my family, for example, um, when we were when I was diagnosed uh, with retinitis pigmentosa many years ago, we had nobody in the family. We knew nobody that was blind, and so we we didn't have the education. We didn't have the knowledge of what a disability is, what blindness is, and you know from many different points in my life that I have people telling me the negative side of it from career exploration to, you know, just walking into a job interview with a cane or without the cane and, and missing some of the nonverbal communications that things that are going on, like a handshake or reading somebody's face when you answer a question. There's been lots of points in my life where I had to change my perception and help change other people's perception. And what are realistic? What what are expectations? And through that process, you know, there was lots of times where I'd let other people do things for me. And as I learned and became more confident in myself, it was easier to say, you know, I got this. I'm going to do it, and um, go on. So a simple thing is going to the bank and getting cash for yourself, and and doing those things versus having somebody else support you in that. And it it freeing for for me, which allows me to go out and be more open and honest to the community and bring that awareness. So it's great that you're doing that at, at, at a younger age, um, and even with the adults who have lost vision later in life, right? Because your program uh, works with all, all levels, um, mm-hmm. people that recently acquired uh, blindness due to a dis- illness, car accident, et cetera. Uh, so teaching that confidence, teaching the the skills that will allow you to do that independently is is so important, and it brings that confidence to the person as they carry themselves throughout the world. Yeah, it, re- it really starts with that mindset, right? It's it's not o- it's not always the the tangible skills of of learning assistive technology or or cane travel, or or learning how to navigate a, a kitchen. It really starts with the mindset whether whether it's a parent of, of a young family going through that grief process. And that's why it's so important that we connect them with not only the resources, but a support network around them, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you mentioned your family didn't have a, a neighbor they could go to, to, to talk about, Hey, what is, what is this going to be like? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, even, even present day, uh, right. You and I growing up, we didn't we didn't have the Internet available mm-hmm. to us, but that's not always a, a warm and welcoming place to <laughs> dive down the rabbit hole of the Internet, right. um, particularly in, in, in the medical space. So um, it, it is really important to establish that mindset of of independence in what's possible. And, and that doesn't matter if you're three years old, 30 years old or, or 90 years old, like you got to have that mindset of you know, I'm going to, to do this and I can do this and I just need to figure out, figure out how. And so I think that's a really important part of, of, of what we do and and what is essential because once you, once you have that mindset, the, the, the tactical skills are going to come. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when, when Mm -hmm. we graduate or a student or client moves on from our program, that mindset is, is key. And, And if we can give them the foundation skills, they can go into a job with that mindset. They're Mm going to learn, they're going to learn that spreadsheet. They're going to learn, you know, whatever tasks they're, they're going to learn that, that social aspect of understanding the culture of, of a workplace. And, uh, they're going to bring a lot to the table and, and be a real asset for, for whatever team, but it starts with that mindset. It starts Mm -hmm. with that mindset, that positive attitude is crucial. Yes, very, very much so. FBC has various different programs to help, as you mentioned, giving whether it's the the mobility, the skills to be successful interacting with the world. Can you talk a little bit about what those programs are? Yeah, I mean, FBC has we have we have over 19 programs, um, you know, close to I think I think it might be 19, 20, depending upon how you how you define a program. But like you said, it's it's all ages. Right. From mm-hmm. from the very first call you get from that initial diagnosis from an ophthalmologist, you call us, we show up in your doorstep in 24 to 48 hours, all the way through to 103 years old, whether it's at the low vision uh, optometrist. So everything and anything in between, uh, the common theme is is independence. So at every 
program, regardless of, of age and, and setting. It's about establishing independence. And in particular, we, we teach the expanded core curriculum. And so the expanded core curriculum are, are, the, are the skills someone who is visually impaired needs to access their sighted world, right? And so that's where we get into the assistive technology. Uh, we get into compensatory skills, orientation, mobility, self-determination, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's nine of those, but, and that's probably a whole separate podcast as far <laughs> as breaking that down. But, right. you know, that's, that's, that's what we do. And we do it in a various settings. Like I said, 2000 individuals uh, a year throughout all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that you address all aspects of life, right? That some you're going to experience and you're going to, ha- mm-hmm. you're going to have to be able to uh, solve in this complex issue, whatever it may be, or simple task. And we're going to teach you the skills to do that so that you can remain independent. And I think one of the, the programs that I know you guys do there is your transition program with high school students. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because it's really intriguing. Yeah, we do, uh, we do a, a six-week residential program. Um, in the summer, we, we bring about 20 to 25 students ages 14 to, to 21, and they stay on campus for, for six weeks. Oftentimes, that's the, the first overnight trip uh, that they have, first time they're, they're away from home. We talk about that, that bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. So they're thrust into, into dorm life, and now they're responsible for taking care of their, their room and making their bed, and they learn how to grocery shop. They learn how to they have an internship. So they have to learn how to, you know, manage a job. They have to uh, learn all the independent living skills, learn how to cook, um, get around a kitchen. All that happens in this this six-week program. And it really is transformational because oftentimes that's their first taste of, of independence, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it, it, it really paints a picture of what's possible. And it's a really, really great program. I've had the the fortune of of going down to the capstone project where mm-hmm. our our college prep and teen to work students give these these speeches on on an issue on blindness and and to see these these kids stand up and at a podium in front of a room full of of adults and mm-hmm. and and peers to speak with confidence and and knowledge and and the effort they put into these speeches. Public speaking is hard, mm-hmm. uh, especially especially when you know. There's, you know, 50, 60, 70 people watching you and, and listening to every word you're saying. Uh, that, that's scary. That, that doesn't, that transcends vision or no vision. Right. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful program and our, our instructors do a great job and they, they learn the assistive technology and, like I said, the independent living mm-hmm. skills. So um, that, that's, that's also a, a misconception a lot of people have when, when they talk about instructors in in vision education it, it's not it's not just academics it's mm-hmm. not just technology it's it's the whole person right it, it's right. it's community it's it's how to how to access public transportation it's how to take care of your yourself and mm-hmm. and in the kitchen and but yeah then you still got to access your your curriculum you still got to know the math and the science and and all that all that right. stuff so it's 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 a unique position in the in the world of of education whether that's youth or or adults like mm-hmm. you got to learn you got to h- learn the the whole enchilada yeah and, and i think that's the same for you think about students graduating and transitioning into college and going away right that mm-hmm. may be their first experience and sure. having right and so if you're able to provide some of that experience up front to take away some of those fears and show the client, the student and the family, because as you mentioned, right, bubble wrap, or even as, you know, as a parent myself, when your kids go off and are starting their life on their own, it can be a scary thing. So knowing that they have the skill sets to be individual, to be individuals, to be independent, uh, make their own decisions and let them find their way going out there and doing that, knowing that your kid may have a, you know, has a visual impairment and has the tools to be successful, probably eases a little bit of that along the way. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's frightening dropping a kid off at a, at a Mm -hmm. dorm regardless. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think there is a sense of, of relief and and comfort to know that, uh, yeah, my, my kid's able to, to survive six Mm -hmm. weeks with, without me and, and, Mm -hmm. and maybe, 
Yeah, in fact, I, I know it's probably harder than the the parents, harder on the parents than it is the kid. The kid's like, all right, see, I, I see, I, you know, my friends are here, and right. I'll, I'll see you in six weeks. So, um, it, it's it's a really transfer transformational program. It it sets them up for uh, employment, right? And we, we start that's mm-hmm. when we start exploring some different avenues of employment, just like any other any other teenager. Try to expose them some different lines of of work and professions and. You didn't know what you wanted to be when you were 15, 16 years old. I know I, I sure as heck didn't. Yeah, it's it's an important part of of growing up and being an adult and, and figuring out where you're going to fit into society. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about the Teacher for the Blind mm-hmm. and Vision Impaired. And you you were talking about not just the, the blindness skills, orientation, mobility, assistive technology, but as well as some of the you know, whether it's grocery shopping, making sure that your kitchen is clean or your house is clean and, and so forth, how to, how to live independently. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that there are shortages, teachers for the blind, vision impaired. What is FBC doing and what else can we be doing to improve that situation and uh, support the community better? Our teacher shortage or instructor shortage is, is certainly not unique to to our field, right? We know that there are teacher shortages across the country in Arizona. There's shortage of math teachers, elementary teachers, high school teachers. Um, so that's that's not unique. What what is unique to the shortage of of vision instructors? It is it is so narrow niche. A typical elementary school can post a fourth grade teacher, and their pool to select from is is tremendous. FBC posts uh, an ad for a teacher of the visually impaired. There's there's very few teachers of the visually impaired out there, and quite frankly, most of them are are employed. So we're we're looking at a a shortage of there, there's probably a shortage throughout the state of of twenty to thirty TVS that and that's that's a, a rough estimate, but what we figured out, you know, five six seven years ago was posting positions and, you know, promoted ads on Indeed weren't, weren't going to find us TBIs. And that wasn't going to be the path to filling these vacancies. We had to figure out how to d- develop our own and, and make our own. And so we, we developed this partnership with Arizona State University uh, to create the first bachelor's program west of the Mississippi. And what is really unique about this particular program compared to any other program out there is we offer not only the the vision coursework and the theoretical coursework that goes into post-secondary ed- education, but we also have the clinical experience as well. So we can expose these college students to, you know, what it means to be a TVI or a teacher vis- visually impaired for early intervention, working with babies. What does that look like in a classroom setting? What does that look like at an, an itinerant? Um, a lot of our ASU students work in our, our summer program, some of the, the teen to work and college prep program I'm talking about. And we were able to graduate 12 TVIs this past past spring, which doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're talking about a, a vacancy of 20 to 30 statewide, and we just graduated 12, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. that's a big, big chunk. We also have a house not too far from our central campus. We call it the iPad. We bring in vision professionals from all over the the, uh, the world, really, that come in and they do an internship with us. And what is the draw is we are strategical about it. We will do our recruitment pitches in January and February to those, those colleges up north. And when it's 20 below and <laughs> we give them a little quick weather report and tell them what FBC can offer mm-hmm. uh, is certainly part of it. But it's really that, that breadth of services that, that we're able to offer. There's, there's, there's only so many places in the country or even the world where on one campus you're going to have you know, an early intervention program, a preschool program, a program for teenagers, uh, a program for, for adults, a low vision optometry clinic on site in over 40 vision professionals that you can tap in as, as a network. A, a vision educator is a pretty lonely profession, typically. Um, so to have that collegiality amongst peers is, is pretty special. And it's been really effective of, of building a, a great team of vision providers that are 
bought into doing what's best for the student, the client, and um, really has created a, a collaborative environment. They really do support each other and uh, look at, you know, the the entire FBC as 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 their their charge to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the program is just amazing that you're able to create these opportunities, right? Identifying a solution, or excuse me, identifying the problem, right? As shortages and what impact that has on the blindness community. And then going out and creating the solution, finding partners in the community to collaborate with, to develop programs, to fill those gaps. I think, you know, what I do on an everyday basis, right? Is there, there's a problem. Uh, and how do I find that solution to do that? Um, whether it's as the community public relations manager at Arizona Industries for the Blind and going out and talking to an organization about, uh, you know, their business processes and how we can help find a solution to some of those pain points, to those awareness campaigns of these are really the abilities of people who are blind. There's nothing to fear about blindness, meeting somebody or hiring somebody who is blind or interacting with somebody who's blind. You know, it's just, here's a solution. Here's a way to, to do that. Right? Absolutely. You different, different conversations is instead of saying, oh, you need directions. Okay, well, it's over there. Um, help me out by saying, okay, it's over by a Starbucks. There's a mailbox or it's two streets down and to the left, whatever right. it may be, right? So yeah. it's achieving the same goal. It's just how do we provide that solution to, to get there? And the same thing comes when we're talking about leadership and um, you're bringing your clients through, your students and, and clients. And we talked about either the, the challenge experiences or the programs that you provide to create that independence and gain the confidence. Leadership comes in in all different forms, whether you're a leader of in the community, um, you're participating in community uh organization, civic org- organizations, or even within it, within your own workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And so and for FBC and from, from your point of view about leadership, how, how is that being developed either within FBC or how can organizations do that in general? Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a great question. I think it's a, a question a lot of organizations are are asking themselves right now. It's certain certainly FBC is, and we we took that same approach. I, I was explaining with our our vision educators is um, we can't just put an ad on on Indeed and and hope for the best. Um, I learned pretty early in my career um, when it comes to bringing people onto your organization, uh, you got you got two options. You can either you can either develop talent or you can pay for it. And the latter isn't, isn't always an option depending upon what your budget is, but developing talent really just comes down to some intentional strategies by the organization to, to develop the people that are within your organization. And so that's, that's been our approach. And I would, I would say it's, it's, it's two, it's a two front approach as far as how we've, looked at leadership and FBC to support this, this growth. FBC is, um, we were just doing a, a program evaluation the other day and, and we've added five or six programs over the last two or three years. Um, some, some local here in Maricopa, some statewide, some even national. We just re- recently got a, a contract with the American Printing House of the Blind to, to provide assistive technology training to six states. Hmm. And it's, you know, essentially 5,000 students across these six states. Massive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how are we going to do it? You know, leadership is, is an important part of it. And so one is, is to develop leaders from, from within. Who's, who's going to step up and, and lead this, this new initiative? Who's going to step up and take something off a plate? Because we can't just keep throwing stuff on our, our current leaders, right? We're going to burn them out. Right. Um, and so we started a program called Tomorrow's Leaders, and it's a 14-month program where we, 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 it's an application process where current staff will put in an application, why I want to be a leader, what are you looking to get out of it, and we select 10 to go through this program. And this cohort goes through this 14-month program where they learn 
starting with the mindset to, to learn that leadership mindset and what it means to be a leader. Um, and they learn and figure out what their own identity is. Mm-hmm. I think a common pitfall for a new leader is, is they try to pretend to be a leader that they're not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's another another lesson we, we've learned. But um, so they start with the, the leadership mindset and then they get into, you know, the the, the skill set of, of leading others and, and how to lead others that, that aren't exactly wired like you, how to, how to motivate, how to inspire. You know, a lot of, a lot of first time leaders come to me and, and they're shocked that, you know, Hey, they, they didn't, I sent an email and it didn't happen. Like they didn't listen to me. It's like, well, if leadership was only that easy uh, <laughs> of just telling people what to do. And so you right. gotta, you gotta learn how to inspire and create a vision and, where people are inspired to follow. And then we get into, you know, some of the tactics of, you know, the operations and how to read a, a financial spreadsheet and manage a budget and how to present professionally and have that executive presence. So it's this full comprehensive program and we work on different projects and application. Um, they learn how to set up a mentoring network um, so that at the end of these 14 months that you're able and have the, the skill set to, to be a leader, whether that's at FBC or, you know, it, there's a there's an opportunity for them elsewhere that is just too, you know, their wings are too big for, for FBC and they got to go somewhere else. And, and that's OK. And that's that's been something we've been willing to to live with is that if we're developing people so well that they have to leave for for bigger and better opportunities, um, that's something we're going to live with. But we're just going to keep on developing these people. And it, it's been a great program. We're actually in our second cohort. Right. Um, our first cohort was was 10 people. And I think six of them have already taken on roles and responsibilities. Some, I think we two left the organization, but the other four took on promotions. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's been, it's been a great program thus far. And that's, that's something we've learned is we got to be really intentional about developing our professionals, not waiting till there's a vacancy and being like, oh no, we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta mm-hmm. do something. Um and, and instead trying to create that that bench. And we, we got we got some work to do. I'm not we, we certainly aren't perfect and mm-hmm. have it all figured out, but we're certainly heading that that direction. Yeah, it's great that you're taking that initiative. You talked about influencing or inspiring other people as, as a leader, right? It's not, okay, you go do this, 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 and this. And I'm going to measure your performance and make sure, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of times organizations get into um, a belief or mindset that, hey, I've got this employee over here and they're really excelling in their position. So they're going to make a good supervisor or leader. (laughs) You put that person in position to really setting them up for failure because Mm -hmm. either They've never had the opportunity, so they don't have this maybe the skill set, so they don't understand the roles and responsibility of, of um, what that position really means. That's a that's a great point. Um, that's that's some conversations we've been having at, at FBC these last couple of weeks. Is you know just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you'll be a great principal, right? Does mm-hmm. just because you're a great salesperson doesn't mean you'll be a good sales manager. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, I think that's a common pitfall is you you take someone who's good at one skill set, doesn't mean it'll it'll transcend into a completely different skill set. So it is a common pitfall. I, I, I see it all the time. We pull our, our best people in their current positions and assume that they're going to be able to to lead others. And, and, and what it really does is it, it creates frustration for for both the team and the leader right the mm-hmm. the really the mm-hmm. really good teacher is usually pretty talented has a high degree of 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 integrity and 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 a high degree of standard and it's hard when the rest of the group isn't meeting that standard it's like well why aren't you doing what i did and it doesn't necessarily work that way mm-hmm. um and so that's why we, we teach those things, right? Like, how do you, how do you lead people, people that don't think like you? How, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you, re, how do you, mo- how do you lead people that aren't motivated by the same things? Like you, you may be motivated by, you know, status, or you might be motivated by doing intrinsic good. Other person might be motivated by autonomy, right? Or, or just give me, 
a time off, right? Give me the, give me the afternoon off after a good job. I don't, I don't need a pizza party. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that, that's a, that's some common disconnects with, with leaders where leaders think they're, they're doing great and uh, they, they don't see their team responding. And it's, it's a, it's a real disconnect, not, not ill intent, right? Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just misguided effort. And if we can kind of create a little less friction between those initiatives, everyone's, everyone's for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of leadership, from your position, what do you think are some of the, the major skill sets or abilities? You talked about uh, mindset. You talked about being able to inspire others. So what would be some other key components of leadership that as either your clients or people in the community are, are looking to advance their career to the, the level that they can, mm-hmm. what would some of those skill sets be? So my, my, my first advice on this would be um, a, l- a little, little theoretical, not as much tactical, but the, the best advice I can give to people aspiring to be in a leadership position is, is you got to be yourself, right? Um, whoever, whatever group of people you're, you're following will sniff out that it's inauthentic or you're, mm-hmm. you're pretending to be someone you're not you got to lead in a way that is authentic to yourself. And I talked about that second lesson we've learned with, with leadership. Leadership doesn't need to be the biggest personality in the room. The leadership, effective leadership doesn't need to be the best public speaker. It doesn't need to be a bombastic mm-hmm. personality. That, that doesn't need, always need to be a leader. But if, if that, that leader knows who they are, right, knows their strengths, knows their weaknesses, now you can build a team around you that can create a really effective team, right? And so that's, that's one of the things we spent a lot of time. We've done some, some various assessments, spent a lot of work as far as learning, hey, what am I good at? What am I not so good at? I, I in particular, am not very good with details in that organization and to details and, and knowing all some of those, those detail logistics. So I surround myself with, very detail oriented people mm-hmm. that can help support what I'm trying to do as a team. And so now I've looked at it from more a holistic approach versus not, not what can I do, but what can, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And here are the different parts. And I think that kind of unlocks a different level of, of leadership when you, when you look at it, it that way. Um, and so if you're, if you're not uh, someone who likes to get up and, and talk, and you want to be a leader, that's okay. But mm-hmm. you just got to surround yourself with, with people that, that can, right? Mm-hmm. We, got, we got a leader at, at FBC that um, is, is a very effective leader, has a, has a ton of skill. She just happens to not enjoy getting up in front of people mm-hmm. and speaking, and, and that's okay. She, mm-hmm. she, can, she can call me and say, hey, you know, Jared, I need you to execute this. This is the topic. Here's the message. I can do that. That's not a that's not uh, a pain point for me. But she executed and and got the the project completed, right? Mm-hmm. As a leader, even though she didn't have to necessarily be in front. So it's it's important that you're able to lead, you know, from the first position, second position, or third position. So there's no one mm-hmm. right or wrong way to lead. But right. I think that's at a very high level. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta start with that. You gotta know who you are, what you're good at. Um, what you're not, because how do you how do you build a team? And it, and it really is a team sport, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not leading. Otherwise, you're right. just by yourself. So, sure. um, I, I would say that's probably the the most critical aspect of it. Yeah, it's so important, right? Because oftentimes you find people think they're they're in the position of responsibility at that level that they have to know everything or they have to do everything. And having people around you that have those skill sets, right? There's many leadership books, right? And having people in the right seats in the right places. Um, and so you build on those strengths because you can't do everything as, as you know, in your position as the CEO, right? You can't do it all. You have to have those people with expertise or have thrive in one area and may struggle in another that you can support and vice versa. I think it's really key. And it builds, I think, organizational culture, right? That I'm supported, I'm able to do the things I want to do. What role does 
in terms of culture, what role does that play like in FBC? The culture at any organization, and, and certainly FBC, um, is, is the catalyst for the magic to, to happen, right? You, you and I can sit in a room and we can whiteboard all kinds of, of great ideas, but if we can't get a group of, of people bought into what we're trying to do and, and how we're going to do it and making sure they have the resources to do it and understand what the objective is, doesn't really matter how good our idea is. The culture is is really important to accomplish anything anything great. And we spend a lot of time on on culture and spend a lot of time on on protecting that culture. And it does it's not overcomplicated, right? I I, I like to say when I, when I'm looking for someone on my team, I'm I'm looking for three things really. I'm I'm looking are are they are they innovative? Right? Are they willing to have a, a growth mindset and willing to, you know, try new things for the for the betterment of the mission? The second thing is they have to care about the student or the client, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is is you got to be willing to collaborate and and work with one another. The reason those three things are are the most important to me because those are the those are the ones that are difficult to teach, mm-hmm. right? And so. It's, it's difficult to teach someone to be innovative if, if they got a fixed mindset. It's difficult to mm-hmm. teach someone to care if they don't care. And it, it's difficult to teach someone to be willing to, to be collaborative or, or just be nice to people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can teach them how to do a, a functional vision assessment. We can teach them how to use Microsoft Teams or, or Zoom. We can teach them some of those tactical skills, but... If you're an organization, what are what are what are the values or what are the the traits you're looking for that are are non-negotiables? And if 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 someone infringes on that non-negotiable, they're just not a fit, and um, that's okay. It's not it's not for for everyone. But when you do hard things, you got you got to have a team that's that's willing and, and bought into to why. And during the pandemic, we were fortunate to have a team that you know, really bought into those three traits, right? Being innovative mm-hmm. and let's just do what's best for, for kids and uh, let's work together. We, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten through the pandemic without, without those three traits. Mm-hmm. We made a decision to close down on a Friday and, and that, that following Monday, our teachers were online for mm-hmm. our kids when a lot of people just hung up that sign and said, hey, we'll be back after the pandemic when mm-hmm. we thought it was going to last a couple of weeks. So... You can't do that without without that mindset. And we didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. We just figured out and everyone rallied. I mean, RIT was sending iPads out. Our, our media center was creating tactile kits hmm. that our students could access and the teachers would facilitate the lessons over Zoom. I, I can assure you 90% of our, our staff had never been on a, <laughs> on, on a video conference and we were figuring it out as we went. So yeah. that culture makes it happen. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It, I totally agree with you. I think it's really hard. And you can hire people to do a job, right? Whatever that is. And they can come in, they can push the button, they can do this, they can do that. But if you don't have the buy-in, you don't have the, the uh, belief and, and care about the job that you're doing, then it makes it very hard. Well, one, it would be evident, but it would be, two, it would be hard to, to achieve the organization's overall goals. And so I think that that, I agree with you, it's really important to find those people that are committed to what it is that they're doing. Right. And certainly every organization needs people at all levels, right? Someone who is very satisfied with the job that they're doing, whether they're pushing a broom or that they are, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 organization is that you have to have that passion. You have to have the understanding that this is a job that is one, right, is putting food on the table, supporting my family, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be, to that maybe I'm making a difference, that that my my task or job is making a difference in helping that organization grow. That's that's a that's a great point. I think I think the latter is is really crucial to um, organizations like ours because our, our our job is hard. If it if it if it was just a dollar for dollar comparison, there's there's probably jobs out there where you can make the same amount of money that might be easier, but 
the impact isn't is great. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that's really important to the people that work at FBC is the people we serve, right? The families, the students, the clients. There's a great story of JFK was touring Cape Canaveral back in the, the 60s. And he, he asked the janitor, he goes, what do you do here? And he goes, I'm putting a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't look at himself as, you know, I, I'm just a janitor. I just sweep. He's like, no, I'm, I'm part of a team mm-hmm. that is putting a man on the moon. And I think that that says a lot and mm-hmm. had, had a lot to do with that mindset of that team being able to get something done that what they thought was was impossible. And so, you know, kind of going back to to that leadership, that 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 leader's responsibility is to create you know, synergies between the, all, all the different tasks of, of why is your task apart, important mm-hmm. and what does it have to do with the greater mission? Mm-hmm. And every job should be important. Otherwise, why, why have it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does that all, all fit in? And, and sometimes you do need to be, spell it out and, and kind of remind people that, yeah, I mean, facilities is, is key and IT and, and how we pay the bills and our finance mm-hmm. and our HR and, and maybe some of those behind the scenes are important, right? And, yeah. and help, you know, do what we do. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great story of, you know, how every part matters. Yeah, thank you. It's been a great conversation. We're, we're buttoned up on our time here, Jared. Um, how would people contact you or FBC? We are at seeitourway.org, S-E-E-I-T-O-U-R-W-A-Y.org. And then we got a, a beautiful campus on, on 12th Street and Northern here in Phoenix, 1234 East Northern Avenue here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'd welcome anyone in the area to, to stop by and, and take a tour. Happy to, happy to show our work. Fantastic. And, and thank you again. Really important conversations. Appreciate your insight and your, your leadership for F, FBC and, and moving it forward as it continues to grow. So, so thank you. I'd also like to thank today's sponsor is Arizona Industries for the Blind, empowering people who are blind or vision impaired to participate in the great American work experience and achieve their version of the American dream by creating and sustaining dignified employment. Hope that today our audience was able to understand that with the right training, the right technology, and the right attitude, people who are blind can compete and are successful in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 1 p.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.